I'm World Cup champion Megan Klingenberg. Wondering who you should root for at the FIFA Women's World Cup? I'm hosting a new podcast, my new favorite Futbolista, where I will introduce you to soccer's brightest stars and the causes they are championing. From the 22-year-old American phenom speaking out about student-athlete mental health. I try to just like approach everything with like you don't know what someone's going through. To the U.S. defender who travels to tournaments with her young son. Am I ever going to be able to run for five minutes straight? Check out my new favorite Futbolista wherever you listen to podcasts. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Edit audio. My name is Pamela Calvert. I'm from Chicago, Illinois. Do you watch the WNBA? I do not watch the WNBA. I do not watch any sports at all. What would get you to watch a WNBA game? Um, caring about the players. This is Rebound Revolution, a not-so-basketball podcast bringing you the revolutionary on and off the court happening in the WNBA. From queer baddies to history to ones to watch, join me, Money, as we get into it all. This week, I'm joined by the legendary Sue Wicks, and we get into her life since retiring from the W assisting and not blocking each other's legacy and players she would never want to play today. Where these players stand today, that is so many tens, hundredfolds better. That growth, that change, that evolution, revolution is magic. Nothing inspires me more to be free in all of who I am more than seeing someone else be all of who they are. If you've ever worked anywhere, you've likely felt the pressure to not bring your full self to work. And even in social spaces, I find it rare that I feel comfortable bringing my full self. There always seems to be some pull on one part of me and an ignoring of my other identities. I know I'm not alone in this. It's a really common experience for those of us who sit at the intersections of multiple systems of marginalization. It reminds me of this quote by third world lesbian feminist, Marxist mystic, Gloria Anzaldúa. They would chop me up into little fragments and tag each piece with a label. I don't want to be pulled apart or chopped up at home or at work. And in watching the WNBA evolve over the course of my lifetime, I don't think the players of the W are down with being fragmented either. Over the years, I've witnessed more and more WNBA players be authentically themselves, both on and off the court. This has not only transformed the culture of the league, but uplifted stories of people and movements we may have never known otherwise. When you're being all of who you are, it is so much easier to celebrate others. As I have grown into showing up as all of who I am, the league has similarly grown. 
The league is only 27 years old, and it's been really exciting to see it grow into finding its identity. I think we have a few WNBA veterans to thank for that, and I can't wait to see where newer players take us next. So um, I'm trying to calm down right now and not like freak out that I'm talking to Sue Wicks, but (laughs) for folks who might just be tuning in who are new to WNBA, can you just tell us a little bit about the legendary career that you had and who you are? I mean, money, when you couch it like that, it's hard to like get into because um, I I mean, I loved playing basketball. That's the number one thing. Um, When I started playing a high school player, in the ninth grade, Santa Marichas, Long Island, I was just so excited to get a uniform. Mm-hmm. My first opportunity to play sports, ninth grade, and I was in heaven. Mm-hmm. So that's legendary for me. Mm-hmm. I got that chance. Yeah. And then I got to play at Rutgers University, I got a full scholarship. It really was a miracle for me at that time to think that that was even possible. And they had this 9,000 seat arena mm-hmm. and they had a popcorn machine. So If you're a basketball player, I mean, walking into a gym, number one, the floor is enough that it gets a squeak Mm -hmm. and that there's popcorn smell in the air. You are big time. (laughs) That type of atmosphere. That was amazing. Uh, My first professional basketball contract um, was written on a napkin. So that's where we're starting from. And it was the highest paid player in the world at the time. And the best they could do was write it on a napkin. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I had an agent that did another pass through it, but that was how low women's basketball was at, at that time in a broad level. Of course, we had, you know, we had legends, but there was one or two yeah. and you could rarely see them on television. Yeah. I didn't see a woman play basketball until I was in college, to be honest. I didn't have those heroes I watched the Knicks. I was a Knicks fan. I had no idea what the best women basketball players was. So it was actually a blessing because I was like, all right, let me try and be as good as Bernard King. It was a high level I was shooting for. And I had no idea what the best women players were like. So when I walked on that court at Rutgers University, and there were 14 players that were highly committed, skilled athletes that loved basketball, Mm. I was in heaven. I got butterflies in my stomach every day going to practice, you know, like Alan Iverson, who's like talking about practice. Yeah, we're talking about practice. I was so excited to go to practice. Forget the games. The games were just, you know, that was a miracle that that happened. I keep saying miracle, but now the girls that are playing, they're thinking about getting um, name, uh, you know, name and image and likeness. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. They're thinking about the shoe contract. They're thinking about being on ESPN. Yeah. They're thinking about, hey, let's do, um, you know, a song yeah. with a famous rapper. No, I was so I was so excited. The coach said, well, here's your shoes for the year. I was like, what? <laughs> we get shoes? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So different times. Mm-hmm. It This feels so wild to think about because I think of you as like an OG in the, <laughs> in the game, right? But you didn't have OGs, really. Like there was <laughs> there was no WNBA as you were playing in high school. So yeah. your generation of play really kind of like laid the blueprint for a lot of what it looks like today. Yeah. 
it really is a blueprint. Now, I'm not saying that there weren't amazing players before me, but here's the problem with history and us as women being neglected or ignored or erased. They're not acknowledged, not yet. And I'm hoping that they will be because there are legends in this game that came before the WNBA that we're on their shoulders. And even though I didn't get to see them play when I was in high school on television, I did later. And I got to sit down with them and talk to them and hear their experience and what they did with very little reward coming back to them, Mm -hmm. but dedicated, passionate. And they were real ballers. Like you, you imagine like, Oh, the game's evolved and, you know, these players today would crush those players um, that are from 40 years ago. Not necessarily. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'll take, I'll take Carol Blazjowski any day of the week. Yeah. I'll take Cheryl, Cheryl Miller. Miller. I mean, yeah. the charisma there is just off yeah. the charts. It's like Magic Johnson. Yes. It's, it's like um, Michael Jordan. Yeah. And I said that when we were playing in Europe, when we were playing Italy, there were, um, we were playing against Spoon the first time. And it was this dang dark gym in Italy, not a lot of fans. And there's Spoon on the court. And she had a uniform that was too tight for her because she was so muscular. Yes. And that face, that smile, the charisma, I was like, this woman does not belong in this gym. Yeah. This woman belongs on NBC. Mm-hmm. She is a star. There's star quality and it's yeah. sitting here and no one's enjoying it. But yeah. me, mm-hmm. I was like, oh my gosh, this is a show. It's like a book. You find this great book and you're like, this is a masterpiece. It doesn't matter. Anybody else read it. I know it was great, but it's a tragedy. No one else is reading this. The next night I'm against um, Lynette Woodard. And there's Lynette yeah. Woodard. I'm telling you, she's a bigger star yeah. than Michael Jordan ever thought to be. I don't care who you are. Like you looked up at Lynette, like she was like a goddess. And then you got to play against her. So it was one night after another, the best players. And the idea was no one's going to see these players play ever again. <laughs> and, and you're watching Coop get better and better every year, just determined to be a better basketball player. Even though no one was, I'm not saying no one, but the world didn't see it. And then it wasn't reflected in her salary. She could improve 50% and, you know, get a 5% raise of a very low salary. But it was the love of the game. It was, I have this gift. I have this talent. I'm going to be the best in the world. Whether you know it or not, or it's recognized, there was that internal gratification of that. And that's like one of the hallmarks of the champions, the greatest. They're back in the gym improving their game. And it's not to make, you know, another 10 million bucks or whatever. It is simply because they want to be the best. They're driven. As you're talking, I'm I'm thinking about just like what your story and like watching your career does as like a possibility model. But mm-hmm. it also makes me think about WNBA contracts are not life-changing money. You know, at that time, EuroLeague contracts are not life-changing money. So it seems like there was always this thought of life outside of basketball too. Is that true? It was, it was my life. I'm going to tell you that the money was not life-changing, but it was more money than any of my friends were making. And it was money I was getting paid to do the thing I was passionately in love with, that every fiber of my body 
was a basketball player. That was my identity because it was my thoughts, my dreams, my actions, my day-to-day, what I ate and what I slept, even who I dated had to be around basketball. So that was like, it moves for me. It was, um, it was who I was. If you didn't pay me, I probably would have done it the same. I'm going to tell you one positive about not having the life-changing money. You're always going to give 100%. You're, it's not like, oh, I can't hurt myself because I have a big contract you know, next year coming up. Or I can't play for this team because they're not letting me score 20 points a game. My contracts, you'll fill any role yeah. because mm-hmm. you're getting paid the same. You know, whether you're scoring 20 points and 20 rebounds or 40 points and 30 rebounds in Europe, you're not going to get a raise. Mm -hmm. All you have to do is win. So that changes the way you play the game. And then show up for every game. I mean, there's guys that make so much money. They're like, I need a longer career. I need to keep making 20, 30 million dollars a year. And you respect that because that's a lot of money. That's generational wealth for your family. You become a business, a brand, an enterprise. I was always, my generation was a basketball player and that's it. Filled with passion. I'm going to give you a hundred percent everything I have because there's nothing to lose at the other end of it. And then also I could always be myself. I could always become Mm -hmm. myself. So there were a lot of really beautiful, important things about being a basketball player in my generation. Coop's story, where she comes through and who she became is amazing. Lisa Leslie, you know, I remember as a high school player trying out for the national team together and then watching Mm -hmm. her, her progression through the league and to where she is now. I mean, that is, she really is a queen. When I see her, she's so articulate. She's so funny. She's so comfortable and she knows Mm -hmm. who she is in basketball, in sports. And she's just, an icon and then you have the next yeah. one like a Candace Parker she's following the Lisa Leslie blueprint right like it, but even yeah. you know one step higher because she's so much more comfortable that she's you know when you see her talking with Shaq talking is a Barkley, nice way of putting like, it right? I'm on the same level I don't care how much money you got I don't care I am yeah. what She's you like, are. We don't are try me, Shaq. I was defensive player of the year. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And I'm like, you go, girl. Like that is, yeah. even though the world told us all the time as yeah. women, we are less. To see her mm-hmm. do that and to hold herself like that. I mean, for me, it's just like, oh, yeah. this is where this is going. And this is yeah. where it needs to go. And that type of role model, that subtlety there, which is not so subtle is really the end dream uh, for me because there's some social justice that's involved with being a women's basketball player. It's not just about the skills. Yeah. When you said being all of who you are, like as a player, I'm like, oh my gosh, it makes sense how we get here to the today of things where the W has like these player-led social justice initiatives, right? It feels like it really is player first. It's not top down where the league is saying, this is our, you know, cause this season. It really feels like the players are bringing their full selves, like whether it's uh, BLM, abortion access, LGBTQ rights, and like trans rights advocacy. They're just so outspoken. And I've always admired that about W players. 
it feels like the seeds were that were being planted. But can you talk a little bit about like what the energy was like back then around social justice? So it's a fledgling league when we when we started, and they're going to target towards family family values, and they're trying to be non-offensive. They're trying to package something that's digestible for everyone. And what do you like? And they really had some preconceived notions on that, and no one was stepping out of bounds. Out of bounds, like it was risky. It's just you were so focused on the league and growing the league mm-hmm. that you wanted to do everything. And it was unspoken, but in energy, you know, you want to stay inside of these things and promote these other things to make it mm-hmm. bring your daughter to the game. Let's get families to the game, have the whole family watching it. We didn't know what to expect. And it's it's 25 years ago and it's so much has changed. I'll just skip forward to Black Lives Matter. I think it's Minnesota. The links, yeah. And the league wanted to find them immediately afterwards. And the thing that changed was the solidarity. They were like, oh, hell no. Hell no. The whole league was like, oh, hell no. Everyone's on the phone and like, oh, you know what? We're doing it tomorrow. Find us I think the Liberty did it right after. Yeah. And they're like, this is more important. And this is our identity. And I think when you do identity, I think in sports, it's really important that you're authentic. And I think Mm -hmm. that the women, again, we don't make a lot of money, but there is a richness, a foundation, and a knowing of ourselves and what we think is right, that we will do it. We've led the way. I think the men, the NBA and the NFL certainly get the credit and the platform. Mm-hmm. But most of the guys in the NBA will say, yes, this started in the WNBA. Yes, that is the model. Yes, that was inspirational. Yes, I believe in that. From that moment, you're seeing so much of the NBA players support the WNBA. Yeah. Like they're a solidarity form their ties because we have that thing in common. And we, you know, we're coming, a lot of the players are coming from these places that are just filled with injustice, you know what I mean, that are filled with Mm -hmm. inequity, and we want to talk about it. And it's always an evolving process. And sometimes we don't allow our athletes to evolve and process and get their Mm -hmm. message out and arrive that we do with normal people in their 20s. And I think this whole world, you know, starting in probably 2018, um, maybe even before that, has gone through a transition. And the athletes have had a lot to say about this transition. Mm -hmm. And a lot of it, we have polarization in this country. People are on the opposite side of it, no matter what. You know, as soon as you hit Mm -hmm. one of those key phrases, people shut down and hate you. So that's Mm -hmm. our social justice. And I think that being okay with people hating you, people disagreeing with you, has to be okay until we get to a place where we start having some normal conversations again in this world and dialogue back and forth. I think what you're making me think about is how much of a, I don't know, like a radical act it was to have Women's National Basketball League, you know, in the United States. And so, yeah, that kind of puts like this, you know, rebellious spirit in the players from the inception of the league, right? It is a important historical turning point that like we have a women's league, right? And so 
I think it's no surprise that 25 years later, yeah. we have Rebel jerseys, yeah, right? Yeah, like the, yeah. the Rebel edition of the jerseys. That's a great point, Money, because, you know, when I was a kid, being an athlete, a girl athlete was not a cool thing to do. And it was out of the bounds. And to do it wholeheartedly as an athlete, not just as, oh, let me look cute out there. Mm-hmm. was a radical act. And then moving forward to allow the players gently to pull back the restraints to let them be the authentic selves is another radical act because now yeah. you're showing something that we're all unique and different and authentic is the most beautiful. The energy is not suppressed. It is flourishing and alive. And whether it resonates with you or not, you have to acknowledge that it is yeah. real and beautiful. And I think that for me is a really an inflection point in our culture about people being allowed to be themselves and be mm-hmm. proud of themselves, you know? Yeah. So those type of things are going on. And I, I see it reflected. There's a whole new Liberty fan base. We started out with one yeah. fan base and I went to the Liberty mm-hmm. games in Brooklyn now. And I'm like, what is yes. going on? <laughs> I gotta say, I love it. I love it so much because it's fresh, it's new, and it's so of the moment. It's so current yeah. and reflective of what's going on in our society that I, yeah. I just bask in it. I have to tell you, I feel like a grandma, but that's okay because <laughs> then it's a marker of progress. You know what I mean? I'm like, and I'm loving yeah. that liberty. I mean, that crowd. The crowd was fully evolved yeah. last year. It was sold out. There's mm-hmm. dancing. There's um, yeah. music. There's a different Liberty fan that is more diverse and mm-hmm. also expressing themselves. So when you say rebels, when you say radical act, I think you're tapping into something that fans are now tapping into. Whether they liked basketball yeah. or not, they're like, these are my people and this vibe, this energy. I'm really feeling good here. And that's how I feel. (laughs) That's what this whole podcast project is about. So, okay, I'm wearing my like Pride Night t-shirt that I got at a Liberty Pride game. And so in talking about bringing your full self to the game, like these full circle moments that are happening, I think it's really important talking to you as, you know, the first WNBA player to come out as a lesbian and then you know, fast forward, what, 20 years later, we're having Pride Nights at the New York Liberty Games. But I know you've talked a lot about feeling as if that coming out moment defined your legacy more than, like, your skill as a player. Do you feel like the queer players of today still have that, like, weight to represent as, like, members of the LGBTQ community? I'm going to pull back a little bit. Number one... Mm -hmm. You had mentioned like being a rebel, being different, being your authentic self. I, I mentioned all of that accumulated inside of me when I started the league at 30. I am not going to be anything except myself. And I had been working on marriage equality in my private life in New York City. I've been, you know, talking with people that were doing some really groundbreaking. I mean, I, I can't believe that it was only at that time we were doing all this groundbreaking work that needed to be done. This is the 90s. It was so different. So for me in that moment, it was important to say that and, to, you know, 
say it with pride, not even pride. It's just, yeah. here's a matter of fact thing at that, in my mm-hmm. mind at that moment, it's just a matter of fact and, you know, yeah. deal with it. And what I got from that in my personal life is so many people coming back to me and saying, you know, it really opened the door that I could talk to my parents. It really was something that I mentioned your name and that you came out and then I came out to them. And, you know, then I would meet people and they would be so emotional about it. So you opened yourself and sometimes it's very heavy to do that. But it was an interesting part of my life because I've always been private about my personal life. but like I'm private in general, not hiding my sexuality, just private. But then I was in so many other people's lives because they're like, I connected to you in the most important, difficult, dark, challenging moment of my life. And you were part of that. And that we can do that for other humans is really important by just being ourselves. Mm -hmm. And um, it really opens the door for whoever you are to become that. So Mm -hmm. now you have the players. Now, the beauty of it, is no one comes out of the closet night you know that's such a like you know it's confessional i'm coming out oh my god i'm gay you know now it's like Mm -hmm. hey i'm getting married or hey me and my partner have it's a celebration of love (laughs) if the comment has changed i wish i would never have come out but had like a celebration of a Mm -hmm. love or something else that's the product of me just being me so now they, they've yeah. shifted the whole thing. Like, you know what? Here's my pictures in People magazine of my gorgeous wedding. And here's my gorgeous mm-hmm. wife. Or, you know, I'm like, yeah. yes, yeah. you changed it. And it's even <laughs> better. Don't come out. That's no yeah. one's business, but yeah. celebrate your love. And that is everybody's business. I'm thinking about Brittany Griner in the 2013 yeah. draft where just very matter of fact, she's like, I'm a proud black lesbian yeah. woman, you know? And like, it just, you know, just like in the middle of the interview, it wasn't like, you know, Brittany Griner is coming out, you know? And then to more recently, Candace Parker posting wedding photos <laughs> and everybody being like, oh my gosh, her wife. Like, yeah, it's just... Yeah, it just feels like much more of a celebration. I'm telling you, that was Mm -hmm. not possible 25 years Mm -hmm. ago. And when you think about it, I don't know what would have happened with a Candace Parker 25 years ago. You would hope that she would find her authentic self. But most commonly, someone just would repress their sexuality, would repress Mm -hmm. their self and just be in a normal relationship and try and get the most out of the little bit of money she could have gotten at that time for being what everyone wanted her to be. And now she's making big money more than anyone with her television stuff. And she's like, you know what? (laughs) And I'm happier than ever. And I'm me. Mm -hmm. So Candace has definitely moved up in my like loved players Mm -hmm. for me watching that progression in a very short time seemingly the last whatever 30 years Mm -hmm. is like wow it's magic you don't don't talk to me about the salary that's almost irrelevant to me but the progression of a player I played with to who Candace Parker is to who Maya Moore is to Renee Montgomery to what Tina Charles has done to where these players stand today that is so many tens, hundred folds better 
that growth, that change, that evolution, revolution is magic. And it's worth more than any paycheck. That mm-hmm. paycheck is coming as going to, and it's going to come mm-hmm. fast. I, I mean, and for me, fast yeah. might be 20 years, but I hope, in 20 years, I'm sitting here bitter and angry, like these girls are getting how much money? I can't believe it. Yeah. You know, I hope that they get yeah. so much that I'm yeah. mad. I want to be mad yeah. sitting here, like, ah, oh, it's unbelievable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. That's my dream. Yeah. yeah, I get what you mean about the salary changing fast, though, because I think what has been more profound feels like the culture yeah. shift that has happened. It just, that is what is like the slow social change yep. work. But somehow it feels like the W has done it really quickly, like in the span of my <laughs> yeah, lifetime, yeah. that like culture shift. Yep. Yeah. I mean, and that, you know, women are up there that they weren't women's basketball. They weren't at the mm-hmm. Met Gala. They weren't at the, uh, you know, at the White House. Oh they weren't, gosh. the president wasn't yes. tweeting about them. Yeah. They weren't there. Now they're in the national. I mean, Brittany Griner with her situation is very different, but that was the trending news story of 2022. I mean, that was huge and everybody had an opinion on it. So, yeah, Mm -hmm. amazing times to be a woman's basketball player. We heard you loud and clear. You love the WNBA and want more analysis and insight on your favorite players. Welcome to Queens of the Court, an Odyssey original podcast. I'm your girl, Cheryl Swoops. And I'm Jordan Robinson. All season long, we'll be bringing you the post-game analysis that you crave and sitting down for interviews with athletes across the W. You can listen to Queens of the Court on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com match. Just go to Indeed.com match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So I feel like I want to back all the way up then and ask, do you have a team? You know it's the New York Liberty. That's it. I mean, forever for life. So I'm guessing you're excited about these New York Liberty Aces matchups this Because I love the Aces. When we started the league in 97, there was a lot of energy. There was a lot of excitement. People wanted tickets. We were mm-hmm. sold out. I'm sure you remember uh, yeah. as a young girl. Yes. That energy mm-hmm. enthusiasm in New York yeah. is there again. Now we have ownership. We have a place in the heart of New York City again, and the girls are just in a magic moment. And I hope that they know it and I hope they enjoy it because mm-hmm. it's going next level. You can feel it, see yeah. it, taste it. It's it's in your heart. And everywhere I go, people are talking about it, like more engagement mm-hmm. and more love and thought and support for the game. 
I'm just imagining what life after a W career is going to look like and how that's going to be different. So when I think about you, I also think about that, right? Like getting to retire, getting to coach life after basketball. Can you kind of talk through what what that process is like? Yeah. So I was 36 Mm -hmm. when I retired and I played 16 seasons professionally and my Liberty team, I knew we weren't going to win the championship. We had played LA that year and we were like that much away and we were all that much older. We were older players. We weren't adding new players. There was nothing going to shift. I know we gave 100%. We gave our heart and our soul and every bit of effort we had to win that championship. We went to four championships, lost yeah. four championships. And that core of players was not going to get better because time does not allow that. So it was like, if we're not playing for a championship, it's done. And it was, it was just time for me to retire. And it was a difficult transition to not be a basketball player, to not have that life, to not have my teammates, to not be connected in that way. Cause it was such you know, every connection in my life was that team or my team in Europe or traveling or being prepared to be a basketball player in the physicality of it and preparation, yeah. everything. So it was, a, it was a huge transition. It was not easy and it took some time. And I went into coaching and I was on the periphery of basketball and it didn't hit my soul. It didn't set me on fire like being a basketball player. And some players, it does. They love it. Mm-hmm. They want to coach. I didn't want to coach. And I didn't want to be in management or marketing or those different things. Um, And I eventually, you know, I had a little startup business with health and fitness with kids. And now I work in aquaculture that really hits my soul and sets it on fire again. I have passion. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what happens. You know, once you know something, it's like being in love, you know. I was so madly in love and now I have a relationship and there's nothing, you know, and it just, you want to be in love and you want to be passionate and on fire and Mm -hmm. engaged in life. And that's what, believe it or not, aquaculture working, but the environment and um, working on the water does for me. So those things are challenging. Can we talk a little bit more about that? Because I feel like, okay, you had a career as a professional basketball player. Now you have an oyster farm. I feel like you're living the lesbian dream. Like <laughs> 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 Basketball farming. Right, right to the farming. <laughs> Is there like some overlaps? in oyster farming and basketball? That might be a weird question, but you said it like sets you on fire. I think that it's physical and I love to use my body. Even at my age, I love the physicality of it, that I still have to use my physical strength and I have to be smart with it in basketball. You're not always using blunt strength, but you're using leverage and intelligence and timing and, and working with the things around you. So that physical part, I love. I love being in nature. That was always part of who I was. Water is important to me. And also to recognize my soul and what's important to me and what I love is also a product of basketball. I wanted to do that. I loved it. I didn't care if I was an outsider and different. You always think that, oh, this athlete's elevated and special no, in high school, you are not. You are called names. You're, you know, the thing is, you always think athletes are like held in this regard. And sometimes when you're a woman athlete, yeah. I can tell you, I've been 
punched in the face. I've been spit on. I've had things thrown at me and endless amount of names Mm -hmm. called because it made people not feel quite okay Mm -hmm. about it. But most of the time you're elevated Mm -hmm. and people love you and you have to sit in that, but there's always the haters. So even, you know, Joan Jett was a big fan of the Liberty early on. And we bonded and we're still friends because of that. Like we were, she was like, you know what? You think I'm a rock star. I can't tell you how many times people called me names, threw cans at me, you know, spit on me. And I was like, you know what, Joan? I had the same experience. And those hurt so much because you remember those. You remember when people did that to you and and that angry ugliness is part of our culture. And as women, we have to deal with it. And, um, you know, some of my black teammates, when we played in Europe, I heard some awful Mm -hmm. things that make you want to go in the stands and fight. Like those are so hurtful and ugly, especially like I played with players. They'll be the only black person in town, you know, when you're in Europe. And here's a young woman in her 20s just trying to figure it out to do what Mm -hmm. she loves. And some son of a gun is yelling these hateful, ugly things at them to make you feel small, to make you feel weak, to make you feel less. And that, you know, you got to keep doing your thing. But I've certainly wanted to choke some folks out, (laughs) you know, in defense of my teammates, because how dare you? How don't you just see that this person and what they're doing? is so difficult and so amazing. You should be like, wow, congratulations, not squashing them because it makes you, I don't know what it hits in your soul Mm -hmm. that makes you feel that way, but you really got to pull yourself together. Definitely. (laughs) I think definitely kind of speaking to the culture shift from the fan perspective, the fan experience of going to the games has absolutely changed since I was a young kid. Like, I think back when I was young, yeah, yeah, there were, like, people saying awful things and, like, trash-talking players in a really, like, hurtful way in the stands. But now it's almost, like, playful jeering. Like, oh, come on, you can do better than that. I know you can shoot better than that. You know? I mean, I don't know where else that culture shift in the fans could have come from, from, like, you all being your whole selves while playing on the court, off the court, and it bringing new crowds. And I think maybe people are changing as well. When I speak to some of the executives, some of the founding members of this league, their perspective is drastically changed. And they'll even speak out and they'll say, the world has changed. Mm-hmm. How I see this league, the importance of this league, it's not just that like zeroed in, like, oh, we need to get people in the stands. We need to sell jerseys. It's like, Boom, this is so much more than that. Just as a heads up for your listening ears, Sue's headphones died mid-interview, but the conversation was so fire, we just had to keep going. So there is a little shift in the audio, but I promise the conversation is so good that you'll want to keep listening. Sometimes I get so caught up in these other conversations because there's what's, you know, swirling around our world now. But let's talk about the improvement in this basketball. I mean, you've been watching it since you're Mm -hmm. a kid. Sometimes when you're a basketball player, 
there's no doubt about it. I've changed, but for 10 years after I played, I'm like, I could beat her. I could guard her. I could do that. She ain't nothing. Now I'm like, oh my gosh. I'm so happy I'm retired because I don't want anything to do with Asia Wilson ever. Never. I don't want to know about Stewie. Yeah. I don't want to know about that stuff. Okay. Yeah. I had enough with, you know, Yolanda Griffith. Yeah. I had enough with Lisa Leslie. You know, I don't want to guard Candace. No. I remember one time we were playing, and um, sometimes I would guard the three. I guard the three, the four, the five. And the coach was like, all right, Sue, I need you to go guard Cheryl Swoops. I was like, what? (laughs) No, thank you. And I'm out there. And I remember I I was right on her. And I was like, Cheryl, I just asked, don't, don't break my ankles. Just, you know. I already knew what moves she was going to make. That's the joke Mm -hmm. about it. We knew their offense. I know what direction she goes. I know it's the one dribble, the shot. It didn't matter. You can't stop it. You know what someone's going to do. And I just was like, please. And like, she'll laugh about that to this day because she was like, I don't care. (laughs) I'm going to tear you up. Now I'm just enjoying yeah. it. Like, uh, let me just enjoy this. This is fun. <laughs> that kind of stuff. But yeah, these players now, it would make me rethink yeah. what I want to do with my life. <laughs> yeah. So I think I'm just having a reflection in real time moment that you have been so humble through this whole interview as if you're not <laughs> so motherfucking wigs. Okay, sorry. <laughs> Just like you, you know, you've been like shouting out and elevating like the careers and trajectories of other players. But I just keep thinking about like your career and your legacy. So I think my my last question for you would be: When folks talk about your legacy, what is one thing you really want to make sure that they remember or mention? So I'm not being humble. <laughs> I'm not being like, oh, you know, I had a career and it was. It was like the greatest part of my life. It was so beautiful. And I'll never underestimate how important that was in me arriving at who I am today, that basketball and the journey. The best parts of me were brought out because of basketball, playing on teams and playing around people that brought their best self, their best efforts, their best intentions to the table. I remember playing against Lynette Woodard. I gave 100% just to be on her level. Mm -hmm. Like I gave up my body. I gave up all my energy. Mm -hmm. I was done. I remember after the game, she was like, she's only a few years older, but she was like, young girl, if you want a long career, you cannot play that hard. You cannot Mm -hmm. give that much away. And I was like, you know what? I want to play at the highest level, even if it's for another year. Mm -hmm. This is how I'm going to play every time i understand what you're saying mm-hmm. but for me to play at Lynette's level to be on the same court with her i have to give everything mm-hmm. so i think the whole time i was trying to compete and i had to play and work as hard as i could yeah. and i'm okay with that mm-hmm. i'm happy with that because that is like when we talk about who you are as a player mm-hmm. i'm not going to be any of those players who i am is i know it was unique because it was just me. And that's important. Like you'll always remember that player is the player for me that did that. This is the point guard. I'm always going to remember. This is the power forward. This is the center. And that you work your way into people's hearts Mm -hmm. when they identify with you. 
not because you were the best or, you know, how you looked. I think that's another part about being a basketball player is, you know, you always want to be the best for sure, but you'll find your spot, be yourself, play your game and keep working on those things. And that's, that's equally as important. I love that. But thanks for all those props. (laughs) Anytime, Sue, anytime. I appreciate you so much for taking time to talk to me about your career in the W, but also the the growth of the W. You've watched it, you yeah, know, right. now, now as you were talking about what it means to like learn in public as like a 20-year-old in the league, the league is in that same position right now, you know, <laughs> learning in public as a 20-something. So Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think it was Amanda Zowie B, who's playing with the Liberty this season too. I think she said, you know, you don't become a great player by playing players that aren't great. You also have to be playing again, you know? So you are talking about these point guards that you will never forget. And I'm like, you, they don't become those legendary point guards without, you know, you being the wall trying to stop them from scoring. (laughs) So I will say that with with my Liberty teammates who one by one are being inducted into the Naismith Hall of Fame. Fame. I always say to them, I was like, I'm part of you and you're part of me. Mm -hmm. So I always feel like their success is mine and mine is theirs because we're so connected. Yes. You elevate people and you also really don't block people from becoming great, which is a human tendency. We don't want to see people shine sometimes, but I think in sports, we learn that make someone shine, let them shine, allow them to shine and do not get in the way of someone elevating themselves. Assist, do not block. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's one of our ugly traits as humans. You know, we think it makes us less but I, every time Spoon does something, she certainly gets a text message from me. Girl, we did it again. We did. She's like, all right. <laughs> I'm like, oh, Rebecca, we are doing it, girl. <laughs> yes. Let's get another championship, Becky Hammond. You know, yeah. like they're like, all right, Sue, you're taking it too far. <laughs> this, this is our ring. This is our yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just keep finding these threads through. But when you said assist, don't block, it also reminded me of, it feels like the inherent climate justice work that you do through oyster farming. It's like you you want to assist and make sure that we have oysters yeah. for another generation, right? Like that there won't be a day where we're like, oh, there used to be these things called oysters that we will still have them. <laughs> yeah, I think it was President Obama had said, he goes, it doesn't matter what level you're on. There's always going to be somebody getting in your way. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter how small the platform. There's always some clown. I think he said Jamoke that <laughs> um, is going to um, try and ruin the party. Yeah. And that I, was a great lesson from basketball. Don't spend too much time on that negative. There was a whole fountain of positive replenish. Mm-hmm. Go back to that time and time again. Cleanse your mind of these people that are getting in your way because that is just who they are. And they're on every level in every segment of society. Just dust them all and keep moving forward. So I I loved when he said that. He was like, I don't care if you're on the student council. 
four years, the president of the United yeah, States, yeah. it's the same. Mm-hmm. These people are trying to block and get in your way. You can't yeah. give them energy. Yeah. Y'all heard it here, folks. Sue Wick said, <laughs> dust the haters off. <laughs> dust them off. Dust- <laughs> Thank you so much, Sue. Thank you, and God bless, and thanks, everybody. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing! I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate, how a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word, Broomgate. There are a lot of dope players in the W, but not everyone gets their flowers. And I want to make sure they do. So I'm going to shout out a player who everyone should know in a little segment called <laughs> Money's MVP. This week, my MVP is Teresa Weatherspoon, also known as Teaspoon or Spoon, another WNBA original player from that first class of New York Liberty players. She was drafted 10th overall in that inaugural draft in 1996. So what is Teaspoon most known for? I think we can't talk about Teresa Witherspoon without mentioning the shot. So picture it. It's the 1999 playoffs versus the Houston Comets. Now, I have already told y'all about the Houston Comets and them being back-to-back, then back-to-back champions in those early years of the league. So this is a huge game. It's game two. The New York Liberty are pretty down. They think the game is over, that the Comets are going to take it. The crowd is going crazy. It's a sold-out crowd. And then the Liberty pass the ball in to Teaspoon And with Tina Thompson on her shoulder, she hits a half-court three-point shot, basically from the rafters. (laughs) She was so far back. And it goes in. The Liberty end up taking the game. This is still, till today, considered one of the best moments in WNBA history. The shot is just iconic, and you can't mention Teaspoon without mentioning the shot. Her current team is actually the New Orleans Pelicans, where she's the assistant coach, making her one of only 10 women currently coaching in the NBA. This is huge. A unique thing about 
Teresa Weatherspoon is that until the 2003 season, she was the only player in the WNBA to start in every game she played. Teresa Weatherspoon was like, bench who? I don't know her. (laughs) And why Teaspoon deserves her flowers? In so many ways, Spoon is a trailblazer for former W players, whether it be in coaching, in coaching in the NBA, going back to her alma mater to coach, being considered for a head coaching position in the W, which is also really rare, and just as an aside, doing it all with incredible arms, okay? I know everybody talks about having Angela Bassett arms, but can we talk about Teresa Witherspoon arms, though? <laughs> and the braids. I think there was a time when everybody wanted Allen Iverson braids. Don't sleep on Teresa Witherspoon braids, either. She has some iconic hairstyles, too. So, Teaspoon is my MVP this week. Who else do you think deserves their flowers? It could be an OG like Teaspoon, or it can be somebody new that you think I should highlight. Let me know by emailing the show at hello at editaud.io. That email address. Don't worry. If y'all didn't catch it, it's going to be in the show notes. Want to sound like you in the know when it comes to the W? I got you. This is Fundamentals, where I'll give you a rundown of something to make you look like you're the expert in the room. So you're at a game and you want to seem like you're in the know? Well, here is a fundamental term you definitely need. And what? So as the old heads might call it, and one, or a three-point play the old-fashioned way, which is a mouthful. So just say and one. If you're an older millennial like myself, you might think of a very short-lived apparel line or like street basketball when you hear and one. But it wasn't just an apparel line. It's actually real basketball lingo. Okay, so basically, there's two real ways to have a three-point play in basketball. One is to make a three-point shot, right? So that's shooting the ball and it goes in from behind the three-point line. But also, getting fouled while you're going up for a two-pointer is another way to make a three-point play. So if you're going up for the two-pointer, and somebody fouls you in the process, you earn a trip to the free throw line. So this means that somebody did you dirty, fouled you, and you still got that shot to fall. It still went in. This takes a lot of strength, like timing, effort uh, to get the shot to go. So it's a huge deal with that plus one opportunity. That's why people yell, and one! One of my favorite players to hear scream and one is Candace Parker. I think she does it with an energy that a lot of other folks don't do. (laughs) Um, And it's also a jab at the defense because ideally you foul someone so that their shot doesn't go, right? So that they don't score and hope fingers crossed, that they miss their free throws. But an and one means that mm, you fouled them and you just earned them an extra 
chance to score even more points. So the next time you want to sound like you're in the know and somebody gets fouled and they still score that two-pointer, yell and one! Rebound Revolution is an edit audio original podcast created in collaboration with The Cube. I'm your host, Money McEachern, and this episode was produced by Melissa Houghton, Mick Finnegan, and me. It was edited, mixed, and mastered by Mick Finnegan. Our supervising producer is Anna Deshawn. Our executive producer is Steph Colburn. Thank you to Kathleen Speckert and the whole edit audio team.